In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Foster has to see the box. When telling a parable in our children's curriculum, Godly Play, the storyteller goes and retrieves a golden box from a shelf and says something along the lines of, look, it is the color gold. Something inside must be precious like gold. Perhaps there is a parable inside. Parables are even more valuable than gold. The box is also closed. There's a lid. Sometimes, even if we are ready, it is hard to get inside of a parable. Parables are like that. They are hard to enter, and sometimes they stay closed. Sometimes we have to come back to a parable over and over again to fully understand what is going on. To get inside of a parable, you really need to be ready. And this is most certainly true of our parable this morning. No matter how ready we might be, entering into and comprehending everything that is going on inside the parable of the dishonest manager or the unjust steward or the parable of the clever manager, depending on who you ask, it is a task that has, as these various titles might suggest, challenged and confounded theologians for centuries. Jesus tells his disciples this story about a rich man who fires his steward, his manager, because the manager was wasting his property. Knowing that he is going to be fired, the manager gathers his boss's clients and reduces their debts so that they will be indebted to him and will offer up their homes when he is out of a job. Now, I would venture to guess if any of us were the boss, we would find this behavior self-serving, unfair, and unacceptable, giving us more cause to fire him. Instead, though, this manager is praised as shrewd, wise, and sensible by not only his boss, but by Jesus, the narrator, who then goes on to invite the disciples to imitate the manager's behavior so that when the dishonest wealth is gone, they too may be welcomed into the eternal homes. Jesus then, somewhat confusingly, goes on to talk about how those who are faithful and little are faithful, who are faithful and little are faithful and much, and vice versa, and ends with a profound and challenging statement. No servant can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and wealth. Debbie Thomas aptly sums up all of the questions that I have, all of the reasons why the parable is hard to enter into, when she asks, why does the rich man commend his manager for dishonesty? Why does Jesus offer his followers such an unsavory character as a role model? In what sense are the children of light supposed to take a cue from the shrewdness of a self-interested scoundrel? 
Why is the parable followed by so many convoluted platitudes and glosses? Are we missing something? Or does this story, in fact, contradict everything Jesus stands for in the rest of the Gospels? Given all of these reasons why this is a difficult parable, I have been thankful for Godly Play's promise that a parable is indeed a precious gift like gold. And that sentiment helped me to stick with it and discover some of the golden nuggets that are indeed buried within this story. Some of the most interesting things I think about this parable are the important nuances that are present within the words themselves, which we miss in our English translation but which may help us shed light on what is actually happening here. In verse 4, the manager says to himself, I have decided what to do so that when I am dismissed as manager, people may welcome me into their homes. The Greek word for homes used in this verse means a house, much like we would think of a home, a stable dwelling place. But when Jesus says in verse 9, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. The word used for homes in this verse means tent. It is two different Greek words. And this is important because, as one scholar writes, Jesus does not promise to provide what the unjust steward sought, the stable abode of those who have possessions and security. Rather, Jesus promises the unstable abode of the wanderer, the refugee, and the pilgrim, whose mobility requires the dispossession of goods. In other words, Jesus is seeking to subvert the power structures at play in this parable and in the world and is inviting his disciples into a new way of living. He is inviting them to a life of eternal tent dwelling. He is inviting them and us to a life which is hard and unpredictable and nomadic, one which will ask more of us than we might think we have to give. One which encourages us to dispose of wealth and power and worldly notions of success. One which asks us to leave everything behind and follow Jesus into the heart of the brokenness of the world, wherever it may be. But he's also inviting us to a life which offers an extreme abundance, a great peace, and a perfect freedom born out of a life of service to God and God alone. And that ultimately is the even harder part of this text to swallow. Service to God alone. In Jesus' final words of our reading, he says we cannot serve two masters. We cannot serve both God and wealth. We cannot serve God as Lord while also serving possessions and notions of money or success as Lord. And the reason for this 
is that in serving something, we, in effect, tie our lives, tie our way of living to that thing or that person. Now, I promise that this is your last Greek lesson for this morning, but the word used for to serve in this gospel is more fully translated as to be a slave to or to be subject to. When we serve something, we often give that something or that someone some sort of power over us. That which we serve gives shape to and informs our lives, whether we like it or not. So who do we want to serve? And what life do we really want to live? Will we praise productivity and busyness as Lord and lead a life of endless tasks and to-do lists? Or will we praise the name of the Lord from the rising of the sun to its going down and live a life which demands us to give all we have, but which will give us the whole of our lives redeemed and reconciled and made whole back to us? Will we praise individuality and self-sufficiency as Lord and succumb to a hollow loneliness? Or will we praise and rely upon the God who takes up the weak out of the dust and lifts up the poor from the ashes, recognizing that we too are lifted up out of the ashes of our lives over and over and over again by God every day? Will we praise worldly permanence and stability as Lord, living in houses built by the bricks of societal expectation, meant to keep us within the confines of the status quo? Or will we praise and serve the God of love, who asks us to divest ourselves, our hearts, and our minds of all that worldly stuff for a transitory pilgrim life of uncertainty lived in the eternal tense of God, but also to a life where we are light enough, mobile enough to journey deeper and deeper into relationship with God and God's people. We have been given the gift of a new life, a hard life, but a life lived in and devoted to a God who dwells in all places and in all times. And that is most certainly a precious gift like gold. Let us pray once again today. Grant us, Lord, not to be anxious about earthly things, but to love things heavenly. And even now, while we are placed among things that are passing away, to hold fast to those that shall endure. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Amen.